Well, th thanks, Pam, for reading that. I bet you're all wondering uh, why we just read a story of a talking donkey uh, uh, when we're supposed to be looking at Revelations. Uh, but we'll get into that, and you'll see why we uh, why I had Pam share that story this morning in a few minutes. Um, I realize that some of you uh, have not met me or don't know uh, who I know me. So I thought I might introduce myself just a teeny bit before we get started. Uh, my name is Mike Whitney. I live up in Thompson, uh, Maine. And um, I attended this church from 1996 until just last year, so 2023. Uh, so I, I'm very familiar with the church. Lots of amazing memories with many with some of you. Um, I baptized some of my children right here. Uh, we have 11 of them, <laughs> so we have a large family. Uh, only three of them are with us, are still living with us. The rest of them are out of the nest and having their own children now. Um, I actually baptized my wife here in 1997, I think. You're out. I served as pastor here from, what was it, 2020. My, the, the first sermon I pre preached here was my candidate sermon was the first day of COVID. I preached to an empty church. <laughs> anyway, um, you were all online at that point. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so then uh, while we were here, uh, Jonah was uh, asked in, to be a candidate and has served here. And so I passed the baton to Jonah last year. So what, what fun it has been, lots of great memories. I currently serve with the Navigators on the uh, sister organization, the crew. I'm currently the uh, Northeast Division Director from Maine to Virginia. So lots of fun, and I, maybe I can come back and share some, some really interesting stories about that sometime. I'd love to do that. Well, um, what would it be like? What would it be like to receive a letter from Jesus addressed to you? Wouldn't that be interesting? To, Addressed to the, to the First Baptist Church of Freeport. Addressed to the elders, the deacons, and the people of the church here. What would it be like to get a letter like that? How would you read it? How carefully would you read it? If it was addressed to you from Jesus. And what would you be feeling as you did? What if in this letter Jesus told you a little bit about himself? And then shared something he thought you were doing well. well. Wouldn't you like to hear that? And then something you need to work on. And then he called you to change and gave you a sweet promise in this letter. Well, this morning, we get to read a letter from Jesus addressed to an actual church. The church is in Pergamum. Okay, where's Pergamum? What in the world is that? I'll show you in just a minute, but... It's one of the seven churches of Asia, which is in present-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And it's uh, one of the seven churches of Revelations 2 and 3. We're continuing in a sermon series started by Pastor Jonah last month. And I have really enjoyed listening to them. I have learned a lot. You are very um, blessed, as you use fortunate, I'll say blessed, to have uh, such an amazing pastor. Um, he is someone who is just very knowledgeable, and I have learned a ton uh, partnering with Jonah. 
And you've already looked at letters from Jesus to two of the churches. To the church at Ephesus, which is also the church that Paul wrote a letter to called the Ephesians. And the church of Smyrna. I've never heard of Smyrna, right? In his letter to Pergamum, Jesus revealed himself with strong words. And we'll read it in just a second. Like a sharp, two-edged sword, as almost as that was coming out of his mouth. He wrote some very pointed things about Pergamum, the city, Pergamum, where the church was located. He wrote about how well the believers there were holding up under very difficult circumstances. Um, and, the, and those circumstances were exemplified by a local martyr that they all knew, um, who he named and he described as a faithful witness. He then referred to an Old Testament story, the Balaam story. And that's why we just read that. Jesus referred to the Old Testament story to point out some among them who are not being faithful witnesses. Then he gave a call to change. He used the word repent, change. And a very fitting and sharp warning associated with it. And he closed the letter with one of his sweetest promises to those who conquer. To those who conquer. Who in effect would be his faithful witnesses. What I want to do this morning in our few minutes together, is to give you the context of this letter. Yes, I'm going to use pictures and I'm going to use a map. Um, so I'm going to uh, give you some context. What we know about this city, Pergamum, and what Jesus said about it. Then we'll look at what happened to the church and how the church responded in a very hostile culture. Some by being faithful witnesses, while others being not so faithful. And we'll see what Jesus said about that. It's kind of related to today, to our situation in our world. It is kind of related. And so I hope, to be able to, I hope that you'll see that. I, I hope that you'll see an example of how to live a faithful Christian life under very difficult circumstances. How to be a faithful witness amid the fray, which is the title of this sermon. Don't you love that? Sparks flying everywhere. That's exactly what life is like here and what life is like in Pergamum uh, by orders of magnitude. So um, let me read the passage and then I'll pray. And as you are able, as is the custom here, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word if you're able to do that. So we'll just go through it real quick. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp, two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Amen. You may be seated. Wow, there's a lot there. Can we pray? Lord God, we do come to you today uh, to read this letter that was written to an actual church by you. And uh, Lord, we uh, want to really listen to you. Lord, if there's one thing that as I read, listened to Jonah's sermons the last couple of weeks, Lord, I realized that this is real. This is real. And that temptation that we have to uh, skate off, to lower our guards, to compromise with this world, to just take it easy. Lord, in the context of this letter and these letters that you've written, Lord, we realize that this really is a real thing. This, this faith that we have in you, this life that you've called us to, this message of the gospel that you've asked us to live and preach and share with our friends and family and others. Lord, this is real. Lord, help us to get a, to, to grasp that today. And Lord, as we read, help us to apply the things that we read, that we wouldn't just do this just to get smarter, but we do this to be different, which is what you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, so let me give you some of the context <clears throat> uh, with some pictures and a map. The letter was written to the church in Pergamum uh, with, from Patmos. So where is Pergamum? Let's see if I can get this. Okay. okay, where is Pergamum? I don't know if you can see that very well. Okay, there's Pergamum right there. Can you see that? And Patmos is right there. So Patmos is, is here, and the seven churches are right here. So uh, two weeks ago, you heard Jonah talk about the church at Ephesus, and then the church at Smyrna right here was last week. And you'll hear from, uh, about the letters to these other churches. Here's Laodicea over here, and right next to Colossae. Colossae is the place where Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians. Uh, and he actually carried three letters at that time, Ephesus, uh, Colossians, and uh, Philemon. We, you know, we don't want to get into all that, but there's all these, these churches here together. So Laodicea got a, church, a letter from Jesus in Revelations 2 and 3. But today we're focused on this place, Pergamum, right here. That gives you, and so John is down on the island of Patmos in exile right there. So that's the map and the layout of what, you, what you're going through with these churches. Pergamum is the most northern of the cities of the seven churches. It sits on a river with a rather imposing Acropolis Hill, upon where many Greco-Roman temples were built. The name Pergamum, and you'll see this in a minute when I show you some pictures. I spent an entire session just with the Lord, just looking at pictures from Pergamum. It was, just, it was part of the Bible study that I really loved, just embedding myself in these pictures. The name Pergamum, in the Greek, means height or elevation. And you'll see why in a minute. 
Pergamum was famous for a 200,000 volume library, which also sat on top of the Acropolis Hill. It was there that animal skins in Pergamon were first used to develop a smooth writing surface as a substitute for papyrus. So if you type in Wikipedia and you type in parchment, um, the, the word parchment comes from Pergamanium skins. That's where it comes from. Um, and uh, so Pergamon was a place where there was lots of uh, knowledge and wisdom. It truly was an influential city in the region. But what's interesting to me is how Jesus referred to it. Twice in the letter at Pergamum, you probably caught it, he refers to Satan. Twice in the letter. Pergamum was where the Satan's throne was. This is Jesus talking. And Pergamum was where Satan dwells. Really? Wow. That's quite a statement from Jesus, don't you think? Why would he say that? Well, let's take a look at some of the pictures and we'll see. So here's the first picture I want to show you. Um, this is a temple to the, I can't remember the name of the god, but the god of healing. And it sits in the town of about 180,000 people at that time. And up here is the Acropolis. That's the Acropolis. Now, I've been to Athens and I've been to Corinth, and I've seen the Acropolis of both of those places, and they're nothing like this. This is imposing on the entire town. See this little thing right there? That is a theater. Can you imagine sitting in that theater and, and watching whatever's going on, having this view out into the horizon, out toward the ocean? It's just imposing. On top of this hill, is this. Um, and so here are all these, so here's a, 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 a reference. So this is kind of a, an, an artist's imagination based on the ruins that are actually there of what it, what it looked like back in the day. Here are all these palaces up here. Here is the temple of Athena, wisdom. Here is the throne of Zeus, or the altar to Zeus. Um, here is a temple, uh, Tra Trajan's temple, which was one of the emperors. And over here is the sanctuary of the ruler cult. And here is the, um, it's either here or here is the library. See that library right there. And there's the theater that, that you would be sitting in, listening to whoever's talking. This is an amazing, this is an imposing feature. There were tons of temple worship, so idol, idol worship here, in addition to emperor worship. I'll share more in just a minute. But those are some of the features. I just want you to see when Jesus is describing the city in that, in that letter, this is part of what he's describing. Okay. Um, a commentary that uh, Joni gave me, uh, G.K. Beale, I don't know if he's one of your professors. Uh, no, okay. Um, he said this, The throne of Satan in Pergamum is a way of referring to that city as, a, as the center of Roman government and, and pagan religion in, Asia, in the Asia Minor region. It was the first city in Asia Minor to build a temple to a Roman ruler, Augustus. So 
you think our politics are packed with, you know, uh, worship of leaders? Theirs was in spades. Okay? And, and the capital of the whole area for the cult of the emperor. So the cult of, so there was actually a letter, for, uh, actually it's, it's there, you can read it today. It's, it's inscribed in the rock, a message from Smyrna congratulating um, Pergamum on how well they were doing in this uh, emperor worship thing. And say, you guys are doing really good. <laughs> um, the city proudly referred to itself as the temple warden of a temple dedicated to Caesar worship. Life in such political religious center put all, all the more pressure on the church to pay homage to Caesar as a deity, the refusal of which meant high treason to the state, or as, as Jonah talked about last week, the inability to conduct trade or have even an economic status. Furthermore, Pergamon was also a center of pagan cults of various deities. For example, the cult of Asipius, which was the serpent god of healing, that's who that, that uh, god was, was prominent in Pergamum. The symbol of Asipius was also, also became one of the emblems of the city um, and may have facilitated John's reference to the throne of Satan, which is a bunch of uh, uh, serpents. Zeus, Athena, Demeter, Dionysus were gods receiving cultic attention this reference to Satan's throne, in this commentator's view, may have been brought to mind because of the conical hill behind Pergamum, which was the site of many temples. And so you've got a chance to see that. Now. So it's with this context that I just want to continue reading the letter and just unpacking it with you. To the angel of the church of Pergamum, write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Jesus says, I know where you dwell. I know where you dwell. I understand the pressures you live under, the spiritual pressure you face. This is Jesus talking to this church. And he said he knew the name, he knew that they were bearing well under the pressure, bearing up well under the pressure. And they held fast his name. So you heard the um, call to worship talking about the name of God this morning. They were holding up and holding fast the name of God, the name of Jesus. And they were not denying the faith. Even in the face of one of them, a guy named Antipas, being put to death for it. Can you imagine if someone, if you faced such persecution and one of you was actually put to death for it and what that would be like with the whole congregation. That's what was going on with them. Whatever happened to Antipas, it happened over a series of days, it says. The days of Antipas. And it culminated with him being put to death. Likely it was an arrest, a trial, some imprisonment, while the decision was made. And it happened just before he was executed. And he was called by Jesus a faithful witness. Okay, so a witness is one who gives testimony. Being faithful means showing yourself to be worthy of trust, or worthy of being entrusted with something valuable. 
I'll never forget when I first learned the word, what the word entrust meant. I was, <laughs> I was uh, a student, uh, I think, or maybe I was just out of college. I was serving as the treasurer for an Abigail conference. And part of that meant I was holding the money back, which I don't really enjoy. I'm not kind of a money guy. Um, but uh, so when the uh, regional leader showed up and, and saw me, he came over, we talked about it, and he gave me the, hand, the, 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 the money back. But what he did was very interesting. Um, he gave me the money bag. I reached out and grabbed it, and he held on to it for a second. Because, okay, this is an awkward moment. You know, awkward moment. And he looked at me and he said, Mike, keep this safe and keep it from being a temptation to anyone. And I said, okay. And he let go. He wasn't giving me the money bag. He was entrusting me with it. He was entrusting. Just in the same way, as, uh, being faithful means that you're entrusted with something. And you're worthy of that trust. Like the gospel of Jesus. Like the name of God. You're entrusted with that. To be good stewards. To be faithful. So a faithful witness would be someone who gives testimony in an unwaveringly consistent manner. Uh, consistent with the, the gospel and the identity of God. Who God is. Revelations 12, for instance, gives an illustration of this. Satan is described in Revelations 12 as the deceiver of the whole world and the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them night and day before our God. That is what Satan does. He accuses the brothers and the sisters in Christ day and night. That's what he does. But he will be overcome. And in verse 11 of chapter 12, it says how. You'll get to it, I'm sure. It says how. It says they have conquered him by two things. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. That's a faithful witness. They conquered Satan. And they will conquer Satan. And you will conquer Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And by the word of your testimony, because and when you love not your life even unto death. That's a faithful witness. And this is what Antipas did and what many of the church of Pergamum were willing to do. That's what Jesus was talking to. I'm reminded of the Apostle Peter. I just... And how he fared when he was asked whether he was one of Jesus' followers. Do you remember? He said, no. I don't know him. This was Peter, the Apostle Peter. He didn't want to be identified in that moment with the name of Jesus. Later he would. He would die for Jesus later. And Jesus forgave him of that moment and restored him. But being a faithful witness means when somebody says, do you believe in God? It happened out in Colorado 20 years ago school. And he said, yes. I believe in God. That is to not deny the faith. That is to identify with Jesus Christ. But now Jesus commended the church of Pergamum for identifying with his name and not denying the faith in the face of persecution. 
And again, that's what it means to be a faithful witness. At the end of the letter, this is really interesting, I don't know if you caught it, at the end of the letter to the church of Pergamum, Jesus gave them a sweet promise for those who conquered. Give two promises. One of them, for those who would be faithful witnesses, those who would in effect not deny his name, would not disassociate their identity with his. He said he would give them a white stone with a new secret name about them written on it with a particular identity before God for continuing to identify with him. A name that only they would know. That's a pretty wild promise. That's a cool promise for those who conquer, for those who continue, for those who are faithful witnesses of Jesus. It's important for you and I to know who we are in this life. Who we are. And whose we are. We are this. Intimate and personal with Jesus. We're his. He's mine. Identities that are wrapped together. But then Jesus pointed out that there are some among them who are not being his faithful witnesses. And they were following the teachings and the practices of an Old Testament figure by the name of Baal. So he actually says that in the letter. And I'm hoping that the people in Pergamum were you know, up on their Old Testament stories. <laughs> because uh, he, he references manna, which you'd have to be aware of, and Baal. He says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Baal, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they might eat food and sacrifice to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Okay, so Mike, let's deal with this. You may remember the story that uh, Pam just read about the talking donkey. The talking donkey, right? It's one of the, it's what, a, what a favorite story. When does a donkey talk? Right? The story happened during the time when the children of Israel were, had left Egypt and were on their way to the Promised Land. So that's when it happened. When they came to the land of Moab, Balak, the king of Moab, was urged by his elders to oppose Israel. So, in order to give him extra ammunition, he went out to the local prophet, Balaam, and sent him word, and said after him, so he wanted Balaam to curse out the Israelites before God, so that they would have extra ammunition against them, enhance his chances, perhaps. But Balaam was reminded by God to speak only what God told him to speak, which turned out to be a blessing, not a curse. The story of the talking donkey. So Balaam was actually on his way when he ran into the donkey. The angel with the sword was meant to be a reminder to Balaam to be a faithful witness to the Lord. By the way, the image of the angel holding the flaming sword uh, with Balaam was not lost on the recipients of the letter. Remember how Jesus was introduced? I am the one, the words who speaks with a double-edged sword. And if they don't repent, I will come with my sword. So when he refers to Balaam, they're thinking, and by the way, you know how Balaam died? By a sword. 
It's just it, the sword image is is it was not lost on the people who got the letter. So Balaam went on to speak for God, only blessings upon Israel, not curses. He went and he publicly spoke only blessings, not curses. This frustrated the king. Because he was sent to do his your job is to curse him out, not to bless him. So what's the problem? What's the problem? I always wondered, Rob, what, what, what's the problem with Balaam here? It looks like from the story that he was a faithful witness, right? And he only spoke the words that God wanted him to speak. Well, what we find out later from the verses that, that Pam read, the other verses in Numbers, is that um, Balaam found another way to accomplish the will of Balaam. He couldn't explicitly curse Israel. If he couldn't do that, perhaps he could get God himself to turn on Israel by leading them astray. So he advised Balak. He said, this is what you do, Balak. You can't curse him out, because God won't allow that. But here's what you do. Tempt the Israelites to sin. To commit idolatry and sexual immorality. And this advice is what probably what Jesus refers to as the teaching of Balaam. What would motivate Balaam to do that? Why would he do that? Well, it seems that he was trying to accommodate the values of his culture and please the people. He was trying to find a socially acceptable spiritual loophole by saying the right words publicly but subtly compromising with idolatry and the sexual mores of the culture to take the pressure off. That's my opinion. To please the people more than to please God. And so we come back to Pergamum. So that's the story. Jesus says, there are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam. You're kind of like that. It's one thing to be all things to all people, as, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, be all things to all people, for the sake of the gospel. It's one thing to, to contextualize the gospel to the culture. And we see the Apostle Paul doing that time and time again. We see him up in Athens, on the Acropolis at Athens, talking to the people at the Areopagus. I've been there, I've seen it. I wasn't a believer then. I was in high school. They said, hey, this is where the Apostle Paul spoke. I was like, look at that was. And he, when I came to Christ later, it was like a revelation. Wow! So he was contextualizing the gospel to the people in Athens. But we can go too far when our objective is no longer to win people to Christ, but rather to enjoy selfish pleasures which compromise the purity of the gospel message itself. That's when we go too far. A faithful witness does contextualize and adapts the gospel to the culture so that the people will understand the gracious love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we are called to do, is to communicate the gospel in the terms. That's why we have different translations that are more up to date. is because we're trying to help explain what God means when he sent Jesus Christ to this earth. That's, that's what we're called to do. But we go too far when we actually lose the message. 
and we compromise the actual gospel itself. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God. The aim of a faithful witness is to please God, not man. As to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, no one is really sure what that was. But there's a lot of different people um, that are conjecturing different things. So I read a bunch of different things, um, and I actually had a good conversation with John about it. And by the way, we're going to have this discussion afterwards, so I can't wait for the discussion uh, after, after the sermon today. I'll stay for that. So no one's really sure what that means, um, but some, many believe it was kind of related to the teaching of Balaam, kind of related. Um, it's some conjecture that it's a more specific form of polygamy, or heaven forbid, spouse sharing. But whatever it was, Jesus said in his letter to the Ephesians that he hated the works of the Nicolaitans. I actually was trying to figure out, so I actually did a little study on, remember uh, in the, the Hobbit, uh, the things that Bilbo hates? I actually did a study on what are the things that God hates. And I just wrote them all down. It's like, you know, unfaithfulness to your wife uh, are all part of those things. And, and a bunch of other things are things that God hates. That's an interesting study, probably maybe the most uplifting thing to, to, to share today. But um, you can get an idea of what that kind of thing is. Well, let me close with the final words of the letter and a chart. Okay, so here's the final words of the letter. It says, therefore, repent. It's a call to change. Which, by the way, the Bible wasn't given us to us to just make us smarter. The Bible was given to us to make us different. Make us different. So, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's repeated in every single one of the letters. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Boom. To the one who conquers, to the one who does not eat the food of idolatry, guess what you will eat? In manna. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Um, perhaps he's referring to himself as the bread of life. I think he probably is. Contrasting that with the food of this world and even the manna itself that was that the, the Israelites ate in the wilderness. Remember in, in John 6, 58, in, in John chapter 6, Jesus made this contrast. He said, this is the bread that come down from heaven. Talking about his body. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds, feeds on this bread will live forever. And last week you had communion. Jesus is the source of our life. And our spiritual life is the bread of life. And that's who we remember during communion. So the hidden man, Jesus. And to the one who conquers, who in effect is his faithful witness, who faithfully identifies with his name and does not disassociate their identity with his. Here's what he'll do. He's going to give you a wet stone. And there's a whole mess of really interesting images in the Old Testament about the white stone we can talk about afterwards. He's going to give you a white stone with a new name on it. A name that no one else will know. 
but you and God. A special secret between you and God. Is that amazing? God's that intimate. He is that intimate. And you are his if you're a believer in Jesus. He wants to be that intimate with you. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what awaits those who are faithful witnesses of Jesus. I urge you to be a faithful witness to Jesus, to your friends, to your family, to the community, to identify with Jesus, to contextualize and communicate the gospel without compromising its purity. Remember that Jesus is a faithful witness of God's love for us. He did it by hanging on the cross. If you're here today and you haven't experienced this yourself through a personal relationship with Jesus that's intimate, please join me in this prayer as I close. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for being a faithful witness to the love of God for all of us. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sin and show me that love. Thank you. Lord, I want this personal relationship with you, and I declare today, today, this very day, that you are my Lord and Savior. And for all the rest of us, help us, Lord, to be faithful witnesses in our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.